Welcome back to the LFDC Podcast. My name is Pastor Jesse Smout. This week we continued in Ephesians chapter 3. Hope you're blessed. All right. We will begin today. There is a uh, quote by Spurgeon that says, um, I've learned to stop taking count of who comes um, because oftentimes, oftentimes the truest of things is the uh, things in which the world wants nothing to do with. So he said, usually truth is found in minority, not in majority. And so I know, you know, we're missing a couple families today. I know where they're at, so that's okay. But uh, I want you to be encouraged because right now I'm very excited for the future of living faith. Uh, very, you know, when we when we appointed the plurality of elders, when uh, Pastor Rachel and myself went through, you know, kind of the transition plan. It wasn't like, okay, you know, there's going to be Pastor Jesse, and eventually we're going to work up an associate pastor. And, I mean, I'm sure that's initially the thought process, but I said, you know, I really would like to see a plurality of elders, and I would like for you to continue serving uh, as a shepherd and appoint one more, in which we did. And uh, we each have specific roles and functions, and we're still ironing those out. These are the early, early stages. Three months' time is not a long time. Um, it feels like a long time. I can't believe 2021 is only, we're only in March. felt like January went pretty quick, February went pretty quick, but Cece and myself were talking about how March has just uh, seemed so slow almost. It's just been, for us, it's been so slow. Like, what in the world? And it's been a blessing, for sure, uh, but it's just been... It's been a really, I don't know, it's been a weird year, obviously, as a pastor now, and preaching and, and studying and trying to be a student of the Word uh, to, the, to the utmost of my ability for you guys and for, this, for, the, for the gospel and for the, for the sake of Christ and for my call and purpose here on earth. And, you know, I'm just very excited for the future, though, of this, this ministry because I'm not worried whatsoever with uh, attendance, something that I've studied uh, briefly, and something that I do believe wholeheartedly is that uh, churches and, and, and pastors and elders and those types of things, they're not called to make the church appealing to the world. Uh, one of the worst things that ever happened was the seek mover, or seeker-friendly movement in which uh, the local elders of a church went out to the goats to interview them and ask them, how do you want our pastor to look? so that you may come. You know, oftentimes, uh, Spurgeon also has a quote where one day, you know, in the near future, he said that we'll no longer have shepherd feeding the sheep, but we'll have entertaining entertainers or clowns entertaining the goats. You know? <laughs> it is. It's very true. And so the, the purpose and the call of, a, of an elder and a pastor is not to draw people in. It's not whatsoever. Uh, that's not my purpose, that's not my call, that's not what I'm focused on. I don't care how many people are here, I'm going to remain faithful to the Word of God because that is my call and that is my purpose. But what happens, and you can take offense to this if you want, um, is mature Christians build the church. And so when you're a part of a smaller church, usually it means you have some immature Christians. And, you know, I, you might get offended that I say that, but... What I believe scripturally that I saw is that mature Christians went out and they carried the gospel and they continually evangelized and witnessed and brought about more Christians. Mm -hmm. Mature Christians build Christians. 
Disciples disciple. Right? And so when I see a growing church, it's either one of two things. Either it's a genuine growing church because they have mature Christians in which they're proclaiming the gospel message and they're growing because of it, or they have put on a show. Unfortunately, we assume every church that's growing is because they put on a show. And I will admit, in America, that is usually the case. Usually the growing church is the entertaining church. Usually the churches in which we've had people come to our church and be like, you know, two hours is just too long. We can't do two hours. Sorry. You know, and, and we're, we're a group of elders who say, you know, we're going to start here, but we're going to build up our stamina, and we're going to slowly have longer services, longer expositions, longer worship. I mean, we're going to eventually start building in and, and throwing in prophetic time and, and uh, spontaneous worship and in times where other people are exercising their gifts and their abilities. But right now, we're just, we're just back to the basics. We're, we're on the basics, and we're building upward. And I'm very excited for the future. We do have a vision. We do have a plan. But I am someone who I'm not going to rush the plan just because I want something to be. doesn't mean I'm going to rush for us to be there. I will be very patient. And I, you know, I'm working with the elders, and we're working together to keep each other accountable to the word and patient together. Um, there's a lot of things that I have in mind that I would like to see this church come to and go through and grow in. But it's all in due time. So please understand that uh, right now we are hyper-focused on the Word of God, which is something any Christian should be hyper-focused on. Right, Elijah? We ought to be men and women devote to the Word of God. And so we finished Ephesians chapter 2 last week. I am not doing a topical sermon because it only took us two weeks to get through Ephesians chapter 2. And so I'm going to resume in Ephesians chapter 3. But I did say I would read the entirety of Ephesians chapter 2 out loud for you. Yes. Because I do have the vision, the same vision, in which eventually we love the Word of God to such a place that we read it and we just weep and we repent and we rejoice and we exclaim the wonders of God, the glory of God, and we want no words that Jesse has to say. There's nothing good I have to say. The good is in the Word. The good is in the Word. And so the perfect pastor, the perfect congregation, I believe, would just be in the Word. And they would be studying the Word, and they'd be reading the Word. I mean, when they had their church service, you have to understand, Phoebe sent from Paul to Corinth. She read the letter of Corinthians in one setting. Or the, church, the, the letter to Corinth, the, church of, the first book of Corinthians. They read that. That was, one, well, that was one service, probably. They probably took several services to digest it, and to go into it, and to, uh, to figure it out. But that was what the letters were for. They were saying, this church, I need to deal with these things, so I'm writing to you about these things. And they read it all together. They read it out loud, probably without stopping. Maybe they'd pause and be like, hey, I have a question about this. What does Paul mean by this? And that's what we're doing. <laughs> we're taking the word. We're reading these letters that Paul wrote to the churches and saying, this is what Paul wanted the churches to know. And we're going to pause and take breaks. And I'm assuming the questions you might have are pointing things out that I see that are important to understand, to gauge your learning. Right? And so that's what we're doing. And that's what the early church did, often. And it wasn't until much later that they started to build all the scriptures and say, okay, this is a letter that Paul wrote here, but we need to spread it here and here and here. And we're done with Ephesians, or the letter to Ephesus, so we're going to send it over to uh, Galatia, and they're going to send it to Corinth, and eventually they started compiling all of these scriptures, and, and they canonized the completion of that scripture, right? And so they finished it, but at first they just had their letters to their churches from Paul. Just one letter. 
So we as a church will focus on one letter. You know, we, we might mess around in the Old Testament. We might mess around in the Gospels. We might be in Acts. I don't know where we're going to be, but I do know we're going to be in the Word. I do know that. And so that's my greatest conviction as someone who uh, is young in the Lord. When I read Timothy and Titus, who are addressed to young pastors from Paul, he says, preach the Word. 2 Timothy chapter 4, right? Preach the Word. The Logos, be ready in season and out of season. How do you encourage? How do you rebuke? How do you do those things? Through the Word of God. And so we continue in that. And that's my little tangent before I even preach. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to read it out loud continually all the way through, and then we'll get into Ephesians chapter 3. Chapter 2, verse 1, and you were dead. I want you to remember that. In the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in his mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up uh, with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God and not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, uh, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, who you once were far, far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down the, in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. Amen. It is a powerful, powerful thing to read the Bible. And I want to allow you guys to understand that when you read the Word of God, if you truly saturate yourself in the Word of God, it will transform your thinking. It will renew your mind. Yes. If you are a Christian who is not in the Word of God, you are dying. Mm. Yeah. That's right. You are dying. 
Romans 8, it talks about you either set your mind according to the things of the Spirit or set your mind according to the things of the flesh. And the man who sets his mind according to the things of the flesh will what? He will die. Your sin will kill you. So we must remain faithful to the Word of God because if you're not in it, then you are dying and you are stagnant and you will eventually become vile, disgusting, gross. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. I continue, for this reason I, for what reason? What we just read. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I want you to keep in mind one thing, and actually, I probably should look at my notes, but one thing um, is oftentimes Paul and these people who wrote in these days, they had um, scribes who wrote for them. So Paul oftentimes would dictate or speak out what he wanted written. At this time, he was under house arrest by Roman guard. They were there, they were present with him, and he was in prison. I think it's interesting that Paul would audibly tell his uh, scribe, For I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, while the Roman guard is standing beside him thinking, Prisoner of Christ, you're a prisoner of Rome. <laughs> I want to just point that out. Um, I think the guards must have thought they heard Paul um, in mistake or something. He's not a prisoner, and I want to I point this out. This is from my notes. Uh, Paul claims to not be a prisoner uh, of the Jews, nor of the Romans, nor of Nero. If you're in Sunday school, you know a bit more about Nero now, but of Jesus Christ. You were bought with a price, and you are a steward I think people like to use that word steward instead of slave because steward doesn't sound like a slave. And slave has a lot of negative connotation to it, which I understand. It's an easy word to have a lot of negative opinion about because of history. But we are slaves to Christ. Do you know what a steward is? It's one who's entrusted with more because he's a good slave. So you can be a slave or you can be a steward, but either way, you're still a slave to Christ. You're either a slave to your flesh or you're a slave to Christ. If you're a slave to your flesh, you will die and end up in hell. If you're a slave to Christ, you will die and be risen up and go into, be sealed with God in heaven. Yes, amen. Amen. Right? So we are prisoners and slaves, and hopefully, if you're good, a steward of Christ. But that still means a slave. I want you to keep that in mind. Um, just as he is Christ's servant, apostle, and minister, so he is a prisoner. There's a lot of things you can take on the mantle and the name, but never forget that you are also a slave and a prisoner to Christ. You may say, I'm a prophet, I'm a pastor, I'm a teacher, I'm an evangelist. You are also a slave, and you are also a prisoner. Mm -hmm. And if you forget those things, you'll get full of yourself. Um, in, 2 Timothy, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, I want to cross-reference something. Uh, verses 8 through 10. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. That's why it's important to study early church history to understand some of these things. He was bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. I love this picture. Just I am bound with chains. I am a prisoner to this this Roman Empire, but I don't care because the Word of God is not bound. I love Philippians chapter 1, I believe it's verse 18, where he says, there are people that are out there preaching for sordid gain, to live, for their own pleasures, 
right? We look at that today. There's plenty of people who can say, they look like they're doing it for the money. They look like they're doing it for this. They look like they're doing it for that. But Paul writes, I am glad that the message is being proclaimed. I think it's important to note that if the message is good, people will be saved. There's a lot of bad teaching and bad teachers out there in the world right now. But even bad teachers and bad teaching sometimes save some people. You know, and that's because of the gospel message, and that's by the grace of God that that can happen, the mercies of God. So he says, I am bound to chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ with eternal glory. Eternal glory. I, I love this. The only reason why Paul was in prison was because he, did, uh, he, he thought the Gentiles and the Jews had the same access to God. You know that's why the Jews resented Paul so much? It's because he kept telling people that Jews and Gentiles had even playing field and even access to God now? You realize that was blasphemy in Old Covenant Judaism? That's blasphemy. To say the Gentiles, the Samaritans, these terrible, awful, worldly people have access to the God of Israel, the God of our covenant. This isn't their God. Let them worship their pagan gods and die. But Paul is preaching, no, it's just one now through Christ. There's one man, one church. We talked about this last week. There's no longer distinction between Jew and Gentile. There's no longer that distinction. It's not two. It's one. You're either of faith in Christ, in Jesus Christ. You're of this or you're not. So now we look at this. Amen. We continue in verse... Uh, to, for this, I'm reading verse 1 a little bit again. A prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship, there's that word steward, stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. What is he stewarding? What is the grace to be a prisoner of Christ for the Gentiles? He is stewarding his imprisonment for Christ to preach and to write to the Gentiles to teach them. I love that Paul says, I'd rather die, but for your sake, I live on. All these martyrs, they willingly went to their deaths, right? Adult Sunday school, sorry, kids. But we understand that Paul writes, it is for your sake that I live. It's not for my sake that I live. It's not for my sake that I'm still here. I'd rather move on. I'm ready to go be in eternal glory. He says, but it's for your sake. And I love that about Paul. Um, that they may hear the gospel message. Do we view opportunities for evangelism as gifts of grace? When I ask you that, do you view it as an opportunity, a gift of grace that God has allowed you, given you the grace to evangelize, or is it something, oh, I have to do because I'm a Christian? Are you a good steward of the opportunity to give the gospel message? For which we should give thanks as, or as burdens from which we should shrink away. Is evangelism a burden or is it something to rejoice about? Serious question because I do believe we need to be a church as which we see our mission, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim. How beautiful are the feet of those who spread the gospel. I look forward to the day I walk into church and all I see by God's grace and by God's glory. I pray one day I see light shining from your feet. Really? I know I'm not big into seeing supernatural things, and even as a kid, I ask God, I don't want to see into the supernatural God. I don't want to see the demons behind their eyes. Sometimes you do, though. But I will ask God to see the beautiful feet in this room, and I'll, I, I pray that one day I can see the light that are shining from your feet. 
What a beautiful picture. It'll be hard. It'll be hard, though, because some of your feet won't be glowing. It'll be hard. It'll be especially hard when we, one week and I walk in and there's no light because nobody shared the gospel that week. So I ask God, Father, if only I could see some things in the supernatural, not all things. That's my petition. That's a Jesse petition. But how beautiful would it be to see light shining from your feet because you are a carrier of the good news. It is not a burden to evangelize as a Christian. It is something you should give praise to God for because it is a gift, an opportunity to tell others about this Messiah, Jesus Christ, who saved you from death. And yet we look at it as something we should shrink away from. That's true. I continue... How the mystery was made known to me by revelation. I want to note that. By revelation. The mystery was made known by revelation. Paul's revelation was divine revelation, an appointed revelation in which he was met on Damascus Road. Not everyone has that type of revelation where God meets them where they're at and their, their eyes are blinded and says, Paul, oh Paul, or Saul, oh Saul, why are you persecuting me? Yeah, that's right. But all of us at some point have a realization, a revelation, epiphany, if you will, a divine epiphany is what I like to call it, where you realize that you are a sinner caught in sin, and apart from Christ, you deserve nothing. It's a divine revelation. Amen. And I love that Paul says, was made known to me by a revelation, as I have written briefly, and that's a cross-reference to before in Ephesians chapter 1 and the latter portions. Verse 4, when you read this, Notice this. I did just mention this. When you read this, they're going to read this out loud in church. When you read this, you can perceive my insight. I pray to God we're perceiving Paul's insight even now. He desired, he prayed for their divine revelation that they may come to knowledge and understanding of Christ in the end of chapter 1 when he prayed for them. But now understand Paul's insight too into the mystery of Christ. So he's writing, when you read this out loud, I pray, I hope, I I yearn that you will perceive my insight of the mystery of this Messiah, Jesus Christ. We should be able to read the book of the Bible. I'm serious. When you start to get this gospel and you understand, oh my gosh, every, every stanza of scripture that Paul writes, it contains the gospel message written within it. It almost always has the Trinity. It almost always has a gospel message. It almost always talks about Jesus Christ. How much more so should we continue that message in our day-to-day speaking? Verse 5, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations that has now been made known or revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So this is a reference to this mystery was not known in other generations, right? It is not known in other generations, but now it is. Other generations did not understand this mystery of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, but now perceive that I and other apostles and the disciples, we have revelation of the Messiah, the promised Messiah of Judaism, of the Old Covenant. It was not made known, but now it has been revealed. Hallelujah. It was not made known, but now it has been revealed. We're in a new covenant time. The sons of men and versus his holy apostles and prophets. Apart from his apostles and prophets in this time, nothing would have been revealed. Amen. We need those people. But I want to know, Paul is not boasting about his knowledge. There are some disagreements on this and, and some frustrations, and that's why part, this is one of those sentences or one of the verses in which people are like, we really struggle with this being Paul. Maybe this was one of his, uh, 
his disciples in which he wrote for Paul and tried to write in a Pauline style like we talked about way back when, when we first started Ephesians chapter 1, how we said there's some disagreement on if Paul wrote it. This is one of those verses because it seems to most average readers that Paul is boasting about his knowledge or perceived insight that other people don't have. Um, but the thing you need to understand about Paul is he, he does not say that he's responsible for it. And I would say the same thing. If you say, oh, you know, Pastor Jesse seems to be bringing some, some good stuff or whatever, like Pastor Rachel trying to keep my humility in check this morning. I'm sitting there back there thinking, you know, all I'm doing is studying the Word of God and, and looking at other people and, and trusted sources to make sure I, I pick out the best fruits for you guys. And I pray to God I'm, I'm being a good steward of the Word of God. You know, I'm someone, I will admit this, I'm someone who can talk and talk and talk. I don't know if you know that about me. And I don't need to prepare beforehand to talk and talk and talk. I could get up here probably every Sunday, preach for an hour, and not prepare. I could. Because, you know, you could argue, oh, well, because it's a gifting of Jesse's to teach and preach and he can talk and it's something God gave him built into his character, blah, blah, blah. But every time I think about that, I just think, wow, like if I were to do that, how horrible of a steward would I be of the Word of God? So when I read the Word of God, I am trying to steward the Word of God for this church and for myself and for the sake of the gospel message for Christ. So I refuse to let myself just do the bare minimum when I pre prepare sermons. I really just do. I used to pray, 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 and I still pray, 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 obviously, but now it's, it's so much more focused on the Scriptures because we're staying in a section. You know, beforehand, we used to... And I, we may go back to topical here and there, actually, because... There's a lot of things topically we need to go over, but I'll still remain expositional in my topical approach. Uh, but I used to pray, 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 try to find what's the word, what's the word, what's the word. And now God's like, just stay in the Bible and read it through with them. And I'm like, this is weird. <laughs> this is weird to me because I used to, to search and search and search for a word. But the one thing that I know I always need to do when I get up here is make sure you understand the gospel. Or at least some elements of it. And if you don't, and you don't understand the gospel, and you don't know what it is, then I did a disservice. So I must steward the word of God, and the thing that is beautiful about when you read the word of God is there's always the gospel in it. So if I stay faithful to the word of God, there's always the gospel. It will come out. And so I want, I want to go back to this. Um, he is simply saying that the teaching he now sets before them came to him, to Paul, by God's gracious revelatory activity, and is asking them to judge for themselves the validity of his claim. So this may seem puffed up to some, but it's not. He's saying, I want you to perceive that this is a divine revelation, not of myself, but a gift of God that I may spread the gospel to the Gentiles. Judge it for yourself. I don't want anyone to get up ever and say, Pastor Jesse said this, so this is the gospel truth. Never, ever. I want you to look to the word of God and judge every word in which I say. I want you to be able to say, you know, and I, I told Brian, I said, if people have disagreements with me, I want them to, I, I want to have an open door policy on disagreements. And say, come talk to me, and we're going to discuss it. And we're going to look at the Bible. It's not about who's right, it's about what does the Bible say. It's not about I'm right, you're right, you're wrong, I'm wrong. It's about what does the Bible say. And there are some things that are kind of hard <laughs> to decide which way you lean and, and figure out. And that, those things are okay. But I want to get this through to you guys that I am 
stewarding the word of God, and you too can steward the word of God. And then I want you to judge what is being said. Um, and that's how you know. That's how you know, well, that was a good sermon. Because I'm faithful to the word of God too. <laughs> and I know it was a good word. Because it lined with the word of God. Or you can say, you know, that wasn't a very good word of God because they didn't really talk about the word of God today. He just talked about his boating trip he went on last weekend. <laughs> Not that there is an encouragement in those things, but I want you to understand that my purpose, God has just been, he's been just burdening me for the word of God and for information, not for my sake, but because I do genuinely feel called to shepherd and teach. Those are the veins, preaching, vision, teaching, shepherding. Um, and that's why we have a plurality of elders, because I 150% believe uh, the gifts have continued and that there are healings, there are miracles. And I do want to um, pray for healings and miracles when we need them. I do want to cast out demons when we need to. I do want prophetic utterances when we need them. But how long ago was it um, when we discussed, we're like, oh my gosh, you're a prophet. <laughs> she was pastoring and I just had this epiphany. I was like, you're a prophet. And not that a prophet can't be a pastor. They can. There's actually some that argue the fivefold, and this is completely off on a tangent, not my word, I'm sorry. Um, there are people that argue the fivefold ministry is not a fivefold ministry, but a fourfold ministry because pastors are shepherding teaching the language of Greek there, the and connects these two words, and so really it's um, prophets, apostles, evangelists, and then shepherds slash teachers, so that shepherds were called to be teachers. When you think about guiding people, it's teaching them right from wrong. So I understand why that people argue for a fourfold. I understand that completely, because as a shepherd, I feel called to teach completely. So I understand that. Um, and so pastor, when you have a prophet who has to do everything, and they're, they're pastoring, they're teaching, and they're, they're a prophet, and they're trying, to be the, they're trying to take on all fourfold, doesn't work out, or fivefold, right? You, you get worn thin. And so when we appointed a plurality of elders, it wasn't, you know, this or that. It was understanding that, you know, I, I, since a young age, I've had a call to pastor, and I do believe to teach. And uh, not, that, not that Pastor Rachel can't teach or preach. She absolutely can. You all know that. But that she knows... I'm more prophetic, and that's, that's going to be my vein moving forward. And so we're trying to, to, to create something unique to us, something different. So anyway, I'm continuing. I'm sorry. Verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Um, from the previous chapter, Gentiles now are also fellow heirs, members of the same body, one body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. They are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, fellow partakers. That was blasphemy to Judaism. I know we read that and we're like, yeah, now we're all, we're all the same body. We're all fellow partakers of God. And as a Gentile, it seems so happy. But you have to understand, if you were a Jew and a Hebraic Jew who practiced Judaism, this was blasphemy. This was appalling. Paul or Saul, the, Philist, or the Pharisee, who was a devout Jew, and now he's saying, what? This is a heretic. This is a golden calf. We must cast out Christianity as quickly as possible, lest God smite us. That was their thought process when it came to Christianity. But for the sake of the Gentiles, for the Gentiles, God allowed this to happen. We should be so eternally grateful. Verse 7, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. He was made a minister how? By God's grace. 
which was given me by the working of diligent study. Yes, but no, it says by his power. His power, his grace, brought you to where you are. We must steward in what, in what we can, but understand that your flesh is your enemy. It is our enemy. 1 Corinthians 15 says, um, actually I'm going to read one more verse before I get to that. Verse 8, to me, though I am the least of all the saints, the very least of all the saints. We talked about this Saturday at our Coffee in the Word. Mark brought it up. I am the least of all the saints, the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. What a blessing. We have to thank Paul enormously because he is the one who revealed Christ, who was able to tell us the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ by God's grace, by God's power, by God's willingness, even though Paul considered himself the least of all the saints. Amen. Something that we need to understand is the closer to God you end up being, the more you realize your own depravity, your own <coughs> sinful nature, how unholy you are, how unworthy you are. Not that you should stay in that or hide from God, but that you need to get rid of it. Because you want to be a useful vessel for God. 1 Corinthians 15.10 But by the grace of God I am what I am, Paul writes. By the grace of God I am what I am. I love that. I, I, that's how I feel sometimes. But by the grace of God I am what I am. I'm a sinner that he uses. Don't ask me how. And by his grace toward me did not prove in vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Why did he labor more than all of them? Because he knew the call upon his life. Call for it. And so he labored even more. So he is a, he's saying, I am what I am by God's grace, but I labored even more than them because I knew what I needed to accomplish. So there is this, there is this um, if you guys remember the word synergism, where you work together with God to accomplish something. It's by God's grace, God's power, God's might that anything is accomplishable. You can't do it by your own nature. That's the heresy, as we discussed earlier, Pelagianism. That's a heresy. You cannot reach holiness and sanctification without God's grace. You need God's grace to do anything as a Christian. And apart from God's grace, you are just creating an idol of yourself in which you think you're holy enough to get to heaven. That is false. It's a lie. You need God's grace. But there, this term synergism is saying, by God's grace, this is possible. So I assume my role as a slave, a prisoner, a steward to kill my flesh rid myself of my old ways, and become faithful to serve God for good works. Amen. Right? So he says that in 1 Corinthians 15. I labored even more than all of them, yet not I. Once again, he acknowledges, I labored more than all of them, but yet not I. It's such a confusing thing, but that's the way it works. But the grace of God with me. It was I who labored more than all of them, but yet not I. It was only by the grace of God within me. We have to understand that we are doing things and we're working toward godliness and holiness, but yet it's not of us. We're assuming our role, we're assuming our part, but yet it's not ours. It's by God's grace. It's a beautiful picture. Everything Paul has become and achieved in his ministry is not of his own doing, but as a result of God's grace and God's choice of him, God's call to him, God's enabling power. He neither indulges in hypocrisy nor grovels in self-depreciation, 
I love that about Paul. He doesn't throw himself up or throw himself downward, but reflects how deeply conscious he is of his own unworthiness and of Christ's overflowing grace. If you count yourself worthy of the gospel message, you don't understand the gospel message. As badly as he felt about his former persecution of the church, he did not let it paralyze him in shame. Imagine you come to Christ and you know you have killed several Christians in your life. It would be very hard to just say, well, I'm just going to serve God in the nursery the rest of my life. I'm, just, I'm thankful to be a part of the cleaning ministry because I used to kill Christians. But Paul says, only by God's grace am I able to preach to you because I used to kill you and now I'm accepted by you especially the Gentile Christians. So what does he preach? The unsearchable riches of Christ. These are not riches that I believe to be possessed by us here on earth. It's the gospel message. These immeasurable riches are eternal security with Christ himself to be, or to be um, sealed with the Holy Spirit. Unsearchable literally means unfathomable or beyond the grasp of mere human understanding. So when he says this word unsearchable, it means your mere human understanding can't comprehend it. That's literally what it means there. So it's incomprehensible, untraceable, inexhaustible, uh, inexplorable, inscrutable. Your mind cannot comprehend the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so when it comes in, he is proclaiming things in which our human minds can't even fathom. That's why when I told you, when you're a vulture eating fruit... The other vultures don't understand because vultures eat meat. And yet you're a vulture eating fruit. Something happened to your mind. It wasn't conformed to the way of the world, but it was transformed by a regeneration. We continue, unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, both Jew and Gentile, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, I believe, completely to be under, understood as the, the demonic realm. The rulers and authorities in the heavenly places is the demonic realm. Now they see, now they understand how God brought about his one true church. We have, must understand the demonic realm is very limited. We seem to love to give them unlimited power, but they are very limited. Who rules the heavenly places? Jesus Christ. Where do demons reside? The heavenly places. So who are the demons' emperor? Jesus Christ. They don't like him. They don't want him. But too bad. <laughs> so don't walk in defeat know that Christ has every victory over every demonic thing when you are sealed to the spirit walk in victory so how is this manifold wisdom of God known, made known thank God by through the church right? so now Paul is explaining it to us so that we the church can explain it to the world this manifest wisdom of God this unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus has been presented to us by Paul as Gentiles so that now we, the church, can present it to the world. Amen. Paul can't reach the world, but the church can. Because the church is ever-growing and there's a lot of people in it. Not through angels or the heavenly places. I want to note that. Angels aren't proclaiming the gospel message. It's the church that Christ has entrusted to proclaim the gospel message. 
I, I think that's important because I think a lot of times we want to send out some angelic assignment to save our lost ones. Hopefully not. Hopefully not doing that. <laughs> no, you. Christ entrusted the church to reach the lost. The Great Commission, go into all the nations and preach the gospel. Give the good news. Verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose. We're almost done here. A purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access. I'm going to pause in this word access and then we're going to be done. With confidence through our faith in him. We have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. This is a very powerful line here. In whom we have boldness and access. This word access literally means an interactive access. When you look into the Greek, it's an access in which now you can interact with God the Father. This is something that in Judaism was not a real thing. Remember the Ark of the Covenant and what would happen if you did touch it? If you had a relationship? <laughs> if you got to know the Ark and touch it and feel it, you die. You die. And guess what happened when they wanted to clean the Holy of Holies? They chose the most holy of priests. And they did everything they needed to do to make sure they could send him in there. And they, that person was probably scared to death. <laughs> that God would kill them. Because they weren't uh, holy enough. So understand, when Paul's writing these things, we're like, oh yeah, we can approach the throne of Jesus Christ, amen, yay. We don't understand how holy God is. That's why my favorite quote, and I quote it all the time at this point, but R.C. Sproul, people asked him on a Q&A, and they said, why was the punishment for Adam and Eve so severe, and why is it so long-lasting, and why is it still in effect today, and why do we have, why do we have to pay for their sin? He said, what's wrong with you people? I love that. <laughs> That's the problem with Christianity is we don't know who we are and we don't know who God is. Yeah. You are a sinner bound to sin and destined for hell. Yeah. You are of Adam. You're not paying for Adam's crimes. You're paying for your crimes. Right. Because you are of Adam. And so when you're of Adam, you make the same choices Adam makes. Guess what? You're either of Adam or you're of Christ. And so when we talk about this, R.C. Sproul is saying, you don't know you're of Adam. You're blaming Adam, but you are Adam. You are a sinner. Don't blame Adam. Blame yourself. And then they said, you don't know who God is. It doesn't say God is love, love, love. It says God is holy, holy, holy. He isn't kind, kind, kind. He isn't nice guy, nice guy, nice guy. He's holy, holy, holy. People who actually understood Judaism realized he was holy. Because if you are not somewhat holy, or at least as much holy as you could possibly be, and go through all the Mosaic covenants and, and all the ordinances and follow all the commands and the laws and make all the sacrifices and wash yourself and purify yourself and go in, even then, you likely would die in the holiest of holies. And now we, Hebrews 10, I love Hebrews 10, you guys, just love Hebrews 10. We can approach the throne room of Christ, of God, sprinkled clear with a clean conscience, what they're writing, based on Old Covenant practice and Old Covenant law, is the scary thing. We read it now, 2,000 years later, we don't realize how terrific and praiseworthy of a report it is to be able to boldly access the throne room right. of God. Yep. If the true practicing Jewish people, the Levites, the priests, if they had this type of access in the Old Testament, they would have lived there. They would have never left. And now we get to, because the Holy Spirit is sealed to us. Yes, 
You don't have to go to church to experience God. You realize he's with you 24-7 if you've been bought with a price. So we have confidence through our faith in him. So verse 13 is the last verse I'll read. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, imprisonment, and as we know, soon to be martyrdom, which is your glory. Paul did all the things he did for the church, for our glory, for our ability to understand the immeasurable, unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. So we need to have boldness, freedom to speak. This word boldness in verse 12, in whom we have boldness, means freedom to speak to God, an interactive access with confidence through faith because of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hopefully, the Word of God is starting to penetrate your mind. Hopefully, you understand the importance of studying the Word of God. I'll bring it up often because I like to tease Elijah because you know he was my mentee and still kind of is. And I told him I would rather you read. Five sentences or five verses with excellence and understand them, then five chapters and forget them the next day. Yeah. Wow. When you study properly, sometimes it takes a long time. Yeah. I do believe we should be in our words, reading our words, studying through the Bible at least once per year. I do believe that wholeheartedly. As a pastor, I'd never endorse anything less than that. But sometimes you just got to spend a week in Titus chapter 1. And not that you're spending five minutes a day in Titus chapter 1, but you're spending an hour per day in Titus chapter 1 trying to understand it. You're spending an hour a day in Titus chapter 2 trying to understand it. For two weeks you're in Titus chapter 2 because it's just so deep and profound and you just want every single fiber of understanding you can gain and glean from the Word of God. Yet you ask someone after a week, what did you read last week? And they say, I read, I think, Acts. What's in Acts chapter 2? I don't know. What did you read last week? Romans chapter 8. What's in Romans chapter 8? I don't know. We should know the word and study the word in such a way. That's my whole purpose of this year. I'm, something I'm really making a goal for myself. I'm probably not going to be able to do it for the whole Bible. Please understand that. The Psalms alone would take a long time. But I want to be able to be like John was in which you say, what about this scripture? What about this passage? Oh yeah, I spent a week on Titus chapter 2. That's in Titus chapter 2. But guess what? Titus chapter 2, if I spent a week on it five years ago, I'm probably going to start to forget it. Our human minds, they're so fragile and so forgetful. So we must continually be in the Word of God. Continually, continually, continually. So I will make one announcement um, before I close. We talk to the elders. We have the elders pray about it. Um, If you consider yourself a quote-unquote member of living faith, we are asking for you to partake and join us with what, um, I think I saw it somewhere else, so I'm not going to take credit for it, uh, a 30 for 30. And so what the idea is, is for 30 days, without fail, you spend 30 minutes in the Word of God. And I know that may sound easy, but trust me, there's this like 20 minute like wall you hit. There is. Like 20 minutes, you're like, nah, I've been in the Word for a minute now. And you look at the clock and you're like, wow, it's only been 20 minutes. That's why usually I get into, I, I'm, I'm really trying to get into the Word uh, twice per day because it's like 20 minutes. I hit, I hit this just, I don't know, maybe not you guys, maybe you're holier than I am. 
But 20 minutes, it seems like a long time. I can, I can spend 20 minutes watching a TV show, no problem. But the Word of God, it's like so dense, and my mind just starts to shut down, it feels like my flesh. <laughs> Our darn flesh. So for 30 days, we are challenging the church to read the Word of God, be in the Word of God for 30 minutes per day. And you may look at that and say, that's, that's not too bad. I'm glad it's this and not a fast. Okay. I do 100% believe that 30 days, 30 minutes in your Word per day will transform your thinking. And the hope is, after 30 days, it won't just discontinue but that we will understand the importance of being in the Word of God for 30 minutes every day at a minimum. That's my hope. So that will be the announcement I share before I get down. So with saying that, uh, we are going to start tomorrow. I'll give you guys today off. I made you guys listen to Ephesians chapter 3 for over 30 minutes. And we'll start tomorrow. And uh, we're not saying what you need to read, where you need to read, how long, how many chapters you need to read. Jarrell might spend 30 minutes in Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And that's okay. And Sophia might read 20 chapters. And that's not okay because she's not reading to understand. But, <laughs> but at least she's reading, I guess. So, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to preach the word, God. I thank you for, by your grace, I'm able to be up here, Father, and be able to be a sinner in a, in a fleshly body just like anyone else in this room, but yet still, um, by your word and, and by your grace, able to... Um, teach and, and preach from the Word, Father. So I thank you for that. I pray everyone here, including myself, including my own flesh, Father, would just take from this Word what you wanted us to take. Hopefully, let it saturate our very being and transform our minds and renew our minds and regenerate our minds continually, 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 that we may cl become closer and closer to Christ, closer and closer to what Christ intended for us to look like, that we may be who you are calling us each individually and corporately to be, Father. So I thank you um, once again, God, just ever so much for your son and his death on the cross and what that means for us Gentiles, us heathens, us pagans, God, whatever you want to call us, Father. But we know we're sinners and we were dead in sin and we had no God and we had no Jesus. We had no covenant. We had no promise. We had no hope. And now we do. So, Father, I will rejoice even more so gladly in you. I thank you, Father. I praise you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. As always, thanks for checking us out. Hope to see you next week. God bless.